Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Oh, it's summer's here. Yeah. And drinking a, a nice Rattler. Yeah, so, you're uh, Rattlering it up. I'm having this one Whoa, <laughs> that you brought back from uh, the Czech Republic for me. Yeah, I got that uh, from, from Prague itself. It's a, a Pilsner Urkel. Yeah. You know, classic Czech beer. Right. One of uh, one of Czechoslovakia, uh, the Czech Republic's greatest exports, I would say. <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> oh, really? That's well, too bad. It's not, I mean, it's not great. I, I guess I got used to it while I was there. I I think I had six of them one night and didn't even feel <laughs> like I was just drinking water. There you go. So, um, so we're here. We are recording this. It's Canada Day. Happy Canada Day, Scott. Oh, and you, you too, Sean. But we are releasing this um, for the 4th of July. Right, because what's bigger than Canada Day? It is Independence Day. Independence Day. Yes, yeah, so uh, so we hope everybody uh, in Canada had a great long weekend and had a safe, happy Canada Day weekend. There were some storms across the country, certainly here in the nation's capital, so I hope everybody was safe through all those. And I uh, hope everybody down in the United States, if you're listening to us as we drop this, you have a great Independence Day there on Thursday. And if you're listening to it after, I hope you had a great fun Independence Day there. But Scott, because we're into the summer and we're into these big holidays, I thought it'd be a lot of fun if, you know, we're, we're very focused here on the show on what happens in Canada. And I think that just makes sense because we're Canadian. But I thought with Independence Day here, what we should do is look back at American curling and some of the great moments in the United States' storied history in the Roaring Game. Yeah, that, that's a really good idea that you had, Sean. And even better idea is that you did all the research. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, don't know what you're going to be talking about. I'm going to react and sound <laughs> probably ignorant of some of it. But there's quite a, quite a, a few great moments in USA Curling history. Uh, you know, they, they've been around playing the game for a very long time, so... Uh, I'm excited to hear your list. Well, and... thank you. Yes, and and for those of you who are from the United States, because I know we have a bunch of American listeners, you let let us know what we've missed. Uh, certainly, let, or let me know what I have missed. Yeah, um, at Doctor Shawnee. At Doctor Shawnee Fever, and two. I mean, we don't have the knowledge of American curling, certainly as the Rocks Across the Ponds guys do. So you know they might correct us too. Also, go listen to their etiquette episode. By the way, I listened to it yesterday. Yeah, it was really good. I very much enjoyed it, despite Ryan really poo-pooing it throughout the show. I thought it was quite good. No, it was really good. Really good. Um, but you know, so let us know what we've missed. And actually, when we when we were talking about this before we started recording, Scott, I had said that I had come up with five, and, and I had ranked five of the top moments. And you had asked me if the 2006 men's Olympic bronze medal was on the list. And I said, no. Right. I, it was surprising to me. So. Yeah. And, and that's something that like I know about that medal, but I think I found five things that are bigger than that or more important than that. And, and I guess I shouldn't say moments either. It's stories, I guess, in American curling. Right. Yeah. The, it, it couldn't, maybe it's not just one single shot a, yeah. or a game or even a tournament, but a, a story. Yeah. So... We're going to count these down from five to one. And as I said, I've got five of them here. 
to go through. So my number five story in American currently in history, Scott, I'm actually going with something pretty recent here. The advent of Las Vegas as a curling destination. Oh, okay. When you look through, say, world championships, sort of the list of venues where they've had them, I think that it's remarkable this change that's happened, that you had places like Duluth, Minnesota, and those type of places that have hosted world championships in the past. But the development of, of Las Vegas as a sustainable host for curling events, I think that's a big deal. And I, I highlighted the Continental Cups, which have been four in Las Vegas. Okay. 2014, 2016, 2017, and 2019. If you look at the attendance yes. of these things... 2014, 51,000 over four days. 2016, 62,000. 2017, 57,000. So huge numbers of people have gone to these. If you compare that to the other ones in London, 16,000. That's a product of the arena that they played in in London. 2015 in Calgary, 22,000. And again, that wasn't in the Saddle Dome. So a smaller venue. But you, you have a lot of people who are going. Pushback, of course. is This past year. This past year was lower. Yeah. And that it's a lot of Canadians. Sure. And it is a curling Canada event. All of these things are true. But I've been to two of these now as a credentialed media member. And USA Curling is very prominent at the events. Oh, for sure. And USA Curling does a very good job of ensuring that their participants are represented. And that this is very much an American events so mm-hmm. i i really think that their ability to have a venue that obviously curling canada has been happy with and clearly the world curling federation has approved of by having the world championship there i think that changes the game a little bit for american curling that they can be seen as a viable host for these events in places where everyone would want to go for a fun... Well, not everyone, obviously. But, I mean, it's not like Duluth, Minnesota, where you're driving from a specific part of Canada and a specific part of the United States. Sure. If you're going to Las Vegas, from anywhere in the country, there are flights available. There's routes to get there. Mm -hmm. So there's an accessibility to Las Vegas that isn't there in other places. So I, I really just think that having this venue... And the Orleans Arena is a perfect venue for curling. Mm-hmm. It really just, I, I think it's just a really good sign for the future of American curling. Yeah, Sean, that's a, a really interesting one I had not thought of. I, too, have been to two events uh, here. Oh, actually, just one. Just one. Uh, I volunteered there. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed about the volunteers specifically was there was a lot of Americans there volunteering who knew about curling and who did a really great job of interacting with the fans there. And you're right, the majority of the fans were Canadian curling fans who knew a lot about the game, but there were some people there that didn't really know much about it and happened to be in Las Vegas and decided to go to this thing. And so when you talk to people on the concourse, uh, you can really uh, get a feel for, uh, for the kinds of people that are going to these things. And some People who are curious and want to learn more about it. You know, I got a lot of people ask me questions while I was there. And I was, I was running 50-50 tickets, so I was up and down those those rows quite a bit. <laughs> and yeah, the the passion for the people who wanted to learn was was really in, in, 
amazing to me. I didn't expect it at all. And, and as well, the volunteer coordinators were a part of American, uh, I don't know if it was USA curling, uh, but it was an American group that organizes right. volunteers for different events. So, uh, and they did an amazing job making us all feel very welcome. So, yeah. And uh, there's the great story too. You remember in 2016, there was the Mexican woman who that's right. threw a, a satellite dish that she had, it just stumbled on TSN somehow and became a curling fan in Mexico and she came up for yes. it. Uh, so there was that cool story of her getting to go on the ice and touch the ice and meet all the players and stuff. So it might not be huge numbers of people, but it is a an avenue to grow the game. I know this year I sat next to on the media bench a guy from Vegas 365 who was doing stories about different things to do in Las Vegas. Hmm. And he was there for a couple of days and never seen the sport before. But he was really enthusiastic about it and into it. And those are the sort of avenues that you need to spread the game and, and really grow it in the United States. So this is something that when I was thinking about big moments. I wonder if having these things in Las Vegas on a regular basis now is bigger than that 2006 bronze medal because there, I think I wonder if there's more of a sustaining growth to the game from this than from that isolated bronze medal. Yeah. And that's why I ranked it fifth. Yeah, okay. Hard to know for sure because, you know, one medal at the Olympics can... You know, we've seen it in Canada, Olympic years, people go to the curling clubs to try it, right? They've seen it on TV at the Olympics, and now they want to try it. Uh, When you have success, as Canada's had, and as the U.S. has had, uh, at a moment I'm sure we'll get to, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it can spike attendance, but whether it's able to sustain it is the question. And we'll have to see if this entry, this foray into Las Vegas... Uh, you know, comes back at all, and it doesn't tire out the way we saw. The attendance this year was about sixteen thousand, I think. So, quite mm-hmm. a significant drop significant, from yeah uh, the last couple the last couple events there. So, and very noticeable too, just just in the in the crowds, like you could get tables at the the buffet after, uh, which in the past you couldn't. So it, it was noticeable. You know, a lot of factors go into that, of course. Sure, and, sure, and sure, certainly. When you're talking about people going from Canada into the United States, a very different environment in the United States from how it was 2016 uh, before. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see how it goes. But that was my number five moment. All right, great. Let's uh, keep marching down the list. So the number four moment that I have. This is the only moment that I have, Scott, for specifically women's American curling. Okay. Whereas the men's programs have been stronger historically. But I'm going to the 2003 Women's World Championships. Of course, Mm. at this point, I think they were still together, actually. So the 2003 World Curling Championships, the women's competition, where you had Deb McCormick come out on top, top, winning the one, I believe, and only gold medal in women's American curling history. They go into this event. And they go five and four in the round robin, finishing tied with Dordy Nordby out of Norway for that final playoff spot. Annette Nordberg goes seven and two, and of course Colleen Jones, in the midst of her great run there in the early two thousands, goes nine and zero. Oh. And uh, they beat Sweden five four in the semifinal and a five three victory over Canada in the final. And it is of course the only, as I said, the only women's world championship. Now, the key for me. I think, is draw eight. 
Okay. So if we want to take a single moment here, I'm going to say draw eight of this event. She is, Deb McCormick is three and four right. going into this game. And she's playing Doherty Nordby. So she can't afford another loss here. No, five is too many, as Vic tells us all the time. So she's three and four, and Doherty Nordby, obviously a strong team. Mm. So she needs this game. And she gives up steals in seven and eight. To go down five to two, so so it's a five-two game after eight ends. This is three rock rule still. Yes, that's right. So that's hard to come back from. Yeah. At this especially point, especially against the team, the caliber of of Doherty Norby. Yes. She gets her two in the ninth, steals in the tenth, and steals two in the eleventh for a seven to five win. She goes on to beat Scotland and draw nine to get oh. into the playoffs. And this is of course pre-page playoffs at the World Championships. So you're just right. into a semifinal. So for as much as I think this cold gold medal is the thing, I think that draw eight game might be the the pinnacle, if that's if I could even say yeah. that, in Americans women's curling because that's a huge comeback late in a game in an era where those sorts of comebacks were not common, and it set the stage for the team to go on this run and win a world championship. Yeah, you you know I, I mentioned we're going to talk about the the 2018 Olympics. I'm sure. This is sort of reminiscent of John Schuster, right? Mm-hmm. Struggling in the middle of the week, and then he gets a big win and goes starts going on a run. It seems like that's where Team McCormick really got their their footing mm-hmm. under them and were able to go on. They beat a, a pretty good Scotland team as well. Yes, and then and then in the semifinal here, I'm looking. They played Sweden and. Uh, uh, Annette Norberg. Yeah. Uh, also an all-time great. All-time great. And they come out with a big three spot in the ninth end to, to sort of uh, go ahead by two and then force the one in, in the tenth mm. end to win the game. So, yeah, that eighth end turning point. That's yeah, that's for sure where it is. And then... And then and then you beat Colleen Jones, Colleen Jones who's right? undefeated on the week, yeah. going into the game 10-0 if you count that semifinal win, and come out and... Essentially, looks like they controlled the game throughout. She outshot her, I believe, 80% to 74% in that game. And you're on foreign ice, if you will. I mean, obviously, the crowd in Winnipeg would be very pro Colleen Jones in that case. Sure. And you come out, you win this game, and sort of control it the whole way through. A very impressive performance for Deb McCormick there. And, you know, women's curling in the United States, the women's teams that have represented the United States have not done as well as men's teams just over the course of history. So Deb McCormick is probably the best women's player ever out of the United States. And this is of course the pinnacle of that, that she comes out, wins this world championship. Yeah, for sure. And, and to go into a match with Colleen Jones, who is 10 and 0, as you mentioned at that point and had beaten uh, McCormick earlier in the week, nine to four in, kind of a laugher you know they got a three spot in five and then steals in six seven and eight yep and uh then they played 10 ends which i guess you had to then i don't know but (laughs) tv yeah for tv but uh yeah to be able to come back against a team of just of that caliber who is all world at the point they were all four all-stars at that world championship was the the first team all-stars was just team canada yeah so and they're in the run too. Of they won two world championships within that run, right? And then the silver medal. Like they're the best team in the world at this point. Easily, I think. Yeah. And and uh, so I mean, all credit to to Deb McCormick there. And 
perhaps i don't i don't know if you've looked into this is there an uptick in women's curling in the united states following this hard to say right because yeah because i mean I don't, I don't know numbers uh from that but a lot of enthusiasm i'm sure within mm-hmm. within the grassroots of curling so. yeah so so i have that as my number four moment there now of course the number like four a moment is us seeing deb mccormick last year <laughs> In, yeah, in uh, in, Knoxville. in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, she was down there selling some gold line stuff. So yeah, so uh, she's still around doing her thing and growing the game. Yeah, yeah, and uh, super nice, nice person. Uh, For I, sure. I remember. I sh- I should have got shoes from her. I need new shoes. Yeah, yeah Sean, <laughs> missed opportunity there. Uh, yeah, I think she was maybe an alternate at the 2010 Olympics, or she was in the 2010 Olympics, and it was a rough go for Team USA. So. Uh, you know, but she always had a smile and it was good. It, yeah. Good, good person. Good Absolutely. Player. Now, my number three moment as we move on, or my number three story in American curling, Scott, I'm going with the career of Bud Somerville. Tell me more. <laughs> yes. So, Bud Somerville is in the American Curling Hall of Fame. He is a two time world champion, two time Olympian. His two world championships, the first one was in 1965. This was when the world championship was still a six-team event. I believe it was still called the Scotch Cup at right. this point. He was playing with Bill Strum at third, Al Gagne at third, Tom Wright at the lead position. And they are 4-1 and one in the round robin there, and they're tied with the Canadians for first place after that round robin. And that was a team skipped by Terry Bronstein, but the more familiar name here is third Don Duguid, mm-hmm. Gordon McTavish on the team, and the late great Ray Turnbull was the lead on that squad. Mm. So they go into the playoffs. They destroy Sweden fourteen to five in an absolute rout there, and then beat Canada nine to six in the final. Wow! So that's his first world championship. Were, were these twelve end games at that point, or just tens? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think it was still. I think it was ten, uh, but you can certainly correct me. On that, the second world championship he won nine years later in 1974 with a team of himself, Bob Nichols, Bill Strum had moved down to second at this point, and Tom Locke. So this event, more teams, now you're up to 10 teams. They are six and three tied for third after the round robin, and they win three to two over the Swiss, who were undefeated. Three to two. Yeah. In the Swiss, in the semifinal, and then an 11-4 victory over Sweden in the final. So the one main consistent in Bud Somerville's career was destroying the Swedes in playoff (laughs) games at World Championships. Now, what's remarkable to me is not only is he a two-time world champion, great career, right? That's enough, right, if you win two world championships. He also won silver medals at the World Championships in 1969 and 1981, won a bronze medal in 1968, also won a bronze medal in the 1992 Olympics when it was still a demonstration Demonstration. sport there in Albertville, and a fourth place in Calgary in 1988. Wow. So if you put it all together, Olympics and World Championships, seven appearances, six medals, no worse than fourth place. Wow. Wow. That's pretty impressive, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm looking here uh, at the results. The 1965 uh, event was still 12 ends. Okay, uh, it was 10 ends by 1974. Although in the semifinal where he beat Switzerland in that 74 event, uh, 
they were tied. The 10th end was blanked. The 11th end was blanked. <laughs> and they had to play a 12th end where they ended up stealing the win from Switzerland and the overall first place team in that uh, in that event. So, I'm guessing the ice might have not been great uh, at that point. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. So uh, interesting stuff there, though. But uh, this one was in, in Switzerland in 74. So mm. perhaps you're right. The ice was not... Uh, yeah. and, no, Condu- not conducive to uh, precision shots. No, it doesn't. <laughs> probably not. And Bud Somerville, too, still alive yeah. uh, in his 80s now. But, you, you know, you look back. I, I think what's fun about this, Scott, is, you know, we look back and, I, you know, I mentioned Don Duguid, Rain Turbull. You know, we, we recognize names in Canada here of, of some of these older players, players from the 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, some of those top players, we recognize mm-hmm. their names. Bud Somerville I had not heard of before. But that is a stellar resume, absolutely. As a as a curler, so I think for for me to go back and and look at that, that's really impressive. Especially again in an era where, yeah, we'll get to it. But you don't think of the United States of having this long term, very successful program, right? But here is a player who, you know, for almost twenty years, when he showed up, he was winning <laughs> or winning something. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was the uh, uh, for over twenty years, almost thirty years, almost thirty years. Yeah, yeah. he was just like a consistent uh, playing well, right? What is yeah. it, like Darcy Robertson showing up, showing and up, making the playoffs? Yeah, which I don't know if that's that's uh, true. And, and Somerville, I don't know if you mentioned this. He was the first inductee, yes, into the curling Hall of Fame. Right. Yes, when it opened there. Yeah, which I believe is in Duluth, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, they don't have a Wikipedia page, okay. so, uh, or the if there's ex- even a physical one, there it might, it might not be like the WWE Hall of Fame that's in your heart. Um, <laughs> Perfect, but yeah, we can we'll, we'll sort of try and check that. We'll, out. we'll tag him on the Twitter uh, post for this yes, episode. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so that's my number three moment. My number two moment, Scott. This is piggybacking a little bit on Bud Somerville's career, which may not be fair, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm going with the 1970s in men's curling. The whole decade. The whole decade, men's curling in the United States. All right, you're going to have to explain this to me. So, I talked already about 1974 yes. and Bud Somerville and his team winning. Let's talk about the 1976 Men's World Championship in Duluth, Minnesota. In this event, the United States was represented by Bruce Roberts, Joe Roberts, Gary Clefman, and Jerry Scott. The Canadians, if you're curious, was Jack McDuff, who went oh, okay. two and who went two and seven. But the Americans here go eight and one in the round robin for first place. They in the semifinal they beat uh, the Swiss team of Kiel Edfalk, which I hope I pronounced that correctly. They beat them nine to three in the semifinal, and then they beat Scotland, recognized or excuse me, represented by Bill Muirhead, familiar mm. name there, of course, six five in the final. So yeah. the second world championship for the United States in three years, there in nineteen seventy six. Wow! But wait, there's, there's more. Thanks, Julie Chen. Nineteen seventy eight in Winnipeg. Let's go back to Winnipeg, Manitoba. Where the United States is represented by Bob Nichols, Bill Strum, Tom Locke, and Bill Christ, uh, Christ, Christman, excuse me, Bill Christman, there in 1978 in Winnipeg. They are 7-2 and two in the round robin, tied for first place, with the Canadians represented by Mike Chernoff, 
in that event. They, in the semifinals, go on to beat Sweden, represented by Tom Schaefer, 6-5, to five, and then beat Christian Sorum hmm. of Norway in the final 6-4 to four, to capture the 1978 World Championship, which means, Scott, that the United States men, three World Championships in the 1970s, 74, 76, 78, doing a very San Francisco Giants-type thing, in winning in even-numbered years. Yeah, and we, we call the Giants a dynasty, so why not the United States? Yeah, so if you look there at the overall results for the decade yeah. of the 1970s, the United States won three Gold. golds. The Canadians won three world championships in uh-huh. the 1970s, 71, 72, and 73, two of which by Don Duguid, the 72 one by Oris Melischuk which is a name I have to say I'm not familiar with. Uh, the Sweden won two in 73 and 78. The Swiss won one in 75. And the Norwegians won one in 1979. Right. So if you look at the decade as a whole, the Americans won as many as anybody else Yeah. in, in the 1970s. And again, as I said earlier, you don't look back on the United States as being a powerhouse in curling. But 1970s, especially that mid to late yeah. part of the decade, they're... They're running the table. Yeah, here, they, you know? they clearly were one of the the world powers, and I think uh, what we're seeing, you know, today and and the last decade, I think, is them trying to get back into that that spot. So, yeah, a good good uh, thing to try and emulate is that decade of the seventies and yeah. maybe the twenty twenties. Yeah, be, maybe uh, will be the decade of the USA, decade of the United States. Yeah. So, so I realize that does sort of piggyback a little bit on my number three one there with Bob, with Bud Somerville. But I think Bud was so successful on his own that he deserves his own spot on the list. But the overall success of the program in the 1970s, I think, is worth noting as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, very interesting. So my number one moment in American curling, or my number one story in American curling history. Scott, it is, of course, obviously, the time in the Olympics when Heath McCormick's Wikipedia page was changed. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> that has to be when that happened. Yeah, what did they change it to? They, I don't know. So they called him like a loser toad or something. It was something oh. really, it was super mean and it wasn't nice. Um, no, of course it's not that. It is the 2018 Winter Olympic Games where John Schuster and his team go on to win the gold medal. Tyler George, Matt Hamilton, and John Landsteiner win the gold medal. Now, what's remarkable about this is not just that they win the gold medal. You can go back, and I did this today, and it was great fun. You look at halfway through the event. There are tweets that people have not deleted. And, <laughs> and from people, not just bot people and troll people, from like, journalists. <laughs> J.R. Lind, I, this is one of the ones that I found. Yeah. Basically saying that, you know, Schuster's going to Schuster. He's in the middle of Schustering. <laughs> like, really just talking about how he was a f- failure. failure. Because yeah. in 24, after 2014, USA Curling did not invite John Schuster yeah. to the high-performance program. They were done, done with John Schuster as a player. And he took these three other guys who also were not invited to the high-performance camp mm-hmm. and said, go F yourselves. <laughs> and just went and won national championships and then won the Olympic trials. Right. So in the middle of the event, 
he is struggling and not only on Twitter, but there's news stories written about it. Yeah. The ringer had a story about John Schuster and how, you know, the United States gets intrigued by curling all the time, and then they just get their heart ripped out yeah. when John Schuster, John Schuster's. So I want to go through some of the results because it's not just that they won. I think it's how they won, Scott. Okay. So in their first game, they win. Great. They're 1-0. Awesome. They lose to Italy in draw number three. 10-9 to to go to 1-1. One one. They lose to Sweden, Nicholas Adin, 10-4 to in draw four. So they're one and two. Then they beat Denmark. But then at two and two, they lose to Japan eight to two. And then they lose to Norway eight to five. Now those two games happen on Sunday right. of the Olympics. So it's Sunday night in South Korea. John Schuster is two and four halfway through this event. Yes. Having lost to teams who he probably should have beat in Japan and Norway. Certainly Japan. Norway, maybe not. Maybe not, yeah. But he's two and four. His next game, Monday afternoon, against the Canadians and Kevin Cooey, he wins in an extra end, nine to seven. And I believe that was the first time he'd ever beaten Cooey. Yes, I believe that is correct. So that win takes him, instead of two and five, an out. Yeah. He's now three and four and has a puncher's chance. Goes on to win against the Swiss, 8-4, to four, and Peter de Cruz. That's a good win. Really good win, yeah. Uh, to go to 4-4, four to four, and then beats Kyle Smith, Great Britain, in the final draw, 10-4, to four, a route there. To get to 5-4, and four, there is a tiebreaker, but because he beat Peter de Cruz and beat Kyle Smith, he's not in the tiebreaker. Right, right, right. So, he's into the semifinal. Yes. Where he gets to play... Kevin Cooey Kevin Cooey again. And one of the things, too, so he beats Kevin Cooey in that extra end game. In the post game, he's being interviewed by somebody from NBC. He gets choked up. Like, he's emotional yes. after winning that game. So much show that the NBC person awkwardly has to turn to Tyler George and start asking Tyler George questions. <laughs> but like, that that moment, it's I don't know if it's quite the same as what we talked about with Deb, Deb McCormick and right. her team with that big comeback against Doherty Nordby. But it's similar-ish mm-hmm. where you have this this moment, this this turning point in the middle of the event. And in the semifinal against Kevin Cooey, he wins 5-3. to three, But the key moment there is that he steals two in the eighth end. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's blanks in six and seven, and he steals the two in the eighth end. He takes the 4-2 to two lead, and... Kevin Cooey can't quite come back, despite the fact that Kevin Cooey had the crazy angles in the 10th end mm-hmm. where he was using corner guards and like freezing on corner guards to get to ricochets like, in. Yeah, to try and get rocks moved yeah. slowly back to the center. So so he wins that game. Then he plays Sweden in the final. And they're tied in the 8th end. And John Schuster cracks an 8. A 5. Or excuse me, a five. Yeah. <laughs> a five in the eighth. Yes. And the game is over. Yes. And Nicholas Dean plays the eighth, or plays the ninth, and I believe he played most of the tenth too before finally conceding in the tenth end. But you have this thing, it's like, this is why curling is so different, where you know you're going to win after the eighth end. Yes. The game is over. Yes. 
But you still have to go and, and play it through. You still have to execute because yeah. just as easily as you scored a five. They and it, could. And it wasn't easy. Mm. But they could, yeah. Like, the shot that he made for five was just insane. Yeah. And, they, and Nicholas Adin, he left his stone in just the exact wrong position. Yeah. Because Nicholas Adin, that whole end was playing super aggressive for the steal. Yeah. And he was going all in on it. And he lost. That's it. And... He just, yeah, just a fraction off on a bunch of shots there. Oscar Erickson, I believe, rolled to like a millimeter away from the perfect position on one of his two stones. Mm-hmm. So just this this crazy game, and he gets the five, and he wins it. So if you look from just timeline-wise, Sunday night, he's two and four. And walking through the Olympic Village, reflecting, sort of famously doesn't know what to do. He's with his wife and, and sort of thinking yeah. about this whole journey. Six days later, Saturday night, he is an Olympic gold medalist. Top of the podium. Having won five consecutive games, two of which against arguably the best team in the world, and uh, one of which against arguably the best team in the world in Nicholas Adin, and also having beaten the eventual bronze medalist in that stretch. Those are four incredible wins. The win against Kyle Smith is really good too in the circumstances of that. Like just a crazy run for this team. Maybe the best six days of curling ever. By by a single team, maybe. Like certainly the best six days in American curling ever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they had gotten out to a 5-0 start, say, or like a a 4-1 start, by beating, you know, Italy and Denmark, uh, Japan, and Japan, Korea. Yeah. yeah. If that's what had happened, um, and then they get to five and four and in, and then sort of sneak. I don't think it's as good of a story. I don't think it is either. It's such a great run. Yeah. That you know people were throwing dirt on the team's grave, and it's this amazing turnaround. Absolutely, absolutely. And one other thing about this story of Team Schuster. Is so okay. They win the gold medal. They have their six days of unconscious curling. Maybe John John Schuster sold his soul to the devil. Who knows? <laughs> but the amount of media attention that, that they great. get yeah. back home afterwards is one of the things that really blew my mind. Like they were on the Tonight Show. They went and dropped the puck at a hockey game where they like slid the puck yeah. curling style. Yes, <laughs> over the ice, which uh, is great. They, they did were, the skull clap thing at a Vikings game. Yeah, they were at the Vikings uh, game doing skull. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, so so much attention was brought to curling based on this team. And, you know, maybe they'll never win again. Who cares? But who cares, right? They don't have to. They can dine out on that for life. Yes. And if we do see the 2020s becoming the decade where America and the USA starts to win more world championships and medals at least. Uh, I think it's all because of this, this 2018 six day stretch. Yeah, no question. Like the, the eventual 2030 Olympians from the United States, whoever those people may be like, there will be retrospective stories about what happened in 2018, that these were kids watching maybe 2030 might be a little early, but you know, certainly in the 2030s, you're going to have stories of people who, who got hooked on the sport from this and are now at the Olympics. Well, even Jared Allen. Jared Allen's trying. Right? Like, yeah. you've got pro athletes seeing the success of John Schuster's team and saying, hey, why not me? I can try mm-hmm. and, and try to learn it. And I'm sure we'll see it with kids as well. 
Yeah, so. no, yeah, absolutely, no question. And yeah, the, the coverage they got, I, I think NBC Sports. I don't know if they've necessarily upped what they've done, but I think interest in the Curling World Cup yeah. might have contributed to or, or been contributed to by the gold medal. And from all accounts, these are really good guys. That like, if you see them in the airport or something, they'll, they'll they're taking pictures, they're doing their thing. Uh, Matt Hamilton is all over the place, yeah. and you know he, he's one of the most outgoing people in the world. He was at the one of the the LPGA events. Yeah, he was at a golf. Thing. He golfed with Brooke Henderson. <laughs> yeah, right. Like yeah. so, like these things are are really great, and that the team is has been receptive to it. And you know they didn't have the greatest season this year, but who cares? In in sort of the larger scheme, but that they didn't just fall off the map is good too that mm-hmm. they remain competitive they made playoffs at a couple of spiels john schuster got salty at uh, the canadian fans at one point which is great yeah right i think chris plies has been a great addition to it for sure uh, to the for team sure. so you know it's just a really a great moment in, in curling and it's you know I, I i was thinking about this i i don't think it's an indictment on american curling to have this be the greatest thing that has ever happened in the sport in that country because it's a freaking amazing thing that happened. Like yeah. a gold medal is great. And maybe we get spoiled here in this country because Canada's won a bunch of them. But to win a gold medal in the Olympics is a huge accomplishment. Yes. And for any Olympic sport, that is the pinnacle. So, of course, this should be the number one moment in American curling history. Yeah. I mean, ask uh, Mike Harris about winning Olympic gold mm-hmm. and how hard it is. Or, you know, ask Kelly Law or any of these other Canadian teams that have gone and, and medaled still, but not gotten the gold, and yeah. they'll tell you, yeah, it was fine, but they all yeah. wanted the gold. Or even Kevin Martin, right? Kevin Martin went sure. in 92, I believe. He was in Alberville. Uh, and got a bronze. And, and he went in 19... Uh, he went in 2002. Right. To and, Salt Lake. And then, like, but his whole drive in 2010... Like, when he throws the last shot in 2010... Like he's smiling as soon yeah, as he lets he it go, right? Like, got. there's that release of him of just like, yeah, like his whole career built to this moment. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, so I think that is heads and shoulders above the other events in terms of what is the number one story in American curling history. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to get any pushback on that. So, well done, Sean. Thank you. Great list. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, let's just, uh, I'll recap it real quick. Yes. On the, the list. So, the five biggest stories in American curling history. I'm going with Las Vegas becoming a legitimate venue for curling events at number five. Number four, I have the 2003 World Championship by Deb McCormick. Number three, Bud Somerville's career, two time world champion. The number two story, the 1970s American men's dominance in curling and the number one story in american curling history is the 2018 gold medal by john schuster there you have it (laughs) and there it is so happy fourth of july happy independence day to all our american friends there uh, and happy canada day belatedly to all our canadian friends too and if you're from outside of north america and have not celebrated a independence holiday recently. It's well, probably happy summer. It's probably because you're we're an imperial power and <laughs> didn't have to gain your independence in any way. <laughs> well, but anyway, happy summer, everybody. <laughs> uh, hopefully, the weather is nice where you are. You can get out 
and enjoy it. So that'll do it for this week's episode. We'll be back with you next week with another fun episode for you. In the interim, if you uh, have not yet, please do subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast and Stitcher and TuneIn and all those places, except for Google Play, where I still don't know what's going on with that. Uh, but you can find we're, us elsewhere. We're definitely on Google Podcasts now. Oh, we are? Yes. You Sherry, were able to find us. Sherry told me we were on Google Podcasts. Oh, great. So that's a good sign. Yeah. All right. So maybe Google Podcasts got figured out. So that's great. Uh, but do subscribe and like the show, rate us, and leave comments. All that stuff that helps other people find the show and keeps the show going. You can find us, too, on Twitter and Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. Scott's on Twitter and Instagram at ScottLikesTV. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And if you have questions or comments, you can email us. Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com. So, as you said, we'll be back with you next week. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.